go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 15. If I haven't met you, my name is Kendall Age. Joy to serve as one of the pastors here, and a joy to look to God's Word together this morning. So our family celebrated a birthday yesterday. Uh, if you know our family, that's not a surprise, because there's so many of us, we are often celebrating birthdays. I had somebody in the church come up to me a couple days ago and say, so it's June, whose birthday is it this month, you know? <laughs> Anyway, so we, we celebrated the birthday, and, and so yesterday, uh, Tiff bought a card, you know, she, she brought it to me to sign, and, uh, and, w- and what she said was something along the lines of, wow, I, I found a card that, like, said, you know, congratulations, and we love you, and it, and it didn't say things like, you are perfect just the way you are. Follow your heart, and be true to yourself. She said, I could... I, I had to look for a card that didn't include all of that garbage. We live at a time when there are two worldviews in clash, at war with each other. One worldview believes man to be essentially, basically good, at times in need of some exterior polishing, perhaps, some new habits, Maybe some new thought patterns, maybe some regulation on our, our speech, thinking, but inherently good. Biblical worldview, on the other hand, actually grounds the dignity of humanity in the very image of God, so that all people are, are dignified and valuable because they're in His image, but they are also broken to the core. Not an exterior matter of some polish, but broken and sinful at the deepest level. These two worldviews are in conflict right now, and for many of us it feels almost like this is a new thing. It's not. These worldviews have been in conflict for a long time. In fact, we're going to see an ancient skirmish in the battle between these worldviews this morning as we look to Matthew 15. So this morning we're going to be looking to Matthew 15, the first several verses in there. We're going to cover it under three points. So if you're taking notes, point number one is a higher authority. A higher authority. And for this we're going to read the first half or so of our section, which is Matthew 15, 1 through 9. So follow along with me as we look to God's Word. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained for me is given to God. You need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God's word. Okay, so 
scribes and Pharisees come to talk with Jesus. Now, Jesus is somewhere around the Sea of Galilee at this time. And that puts him at least 60 miles straight line from Jerusalem. So these guys from Jerusalem, coming to see Jesus, had traveled an awful long way just to tell him what's wrong with his disciples. They were quite concerned over the fact that his disciples were so evil that they dared eat without washing their hands. Now, this was not a COVID concern. This was not a germ concern. This was, in their mind, an issue of purity, of inner, inner purity, of becoming defiled through what they ate. They believed the disciples to be spiritually unclean or impure because of this. So, so the Old Testament does have food laws, right, of what they were allowed to eat and what they weren't. And over time, the, the people would get together, discuss those laws, and kind of interpret what they meant. And, and add some kind of, well, let's just avoid doing this. And, and, and probably we should avoid doing that. And let's add this to it as well. And they built up a kind of crust around God's word of human tradition. And on some level, at some point, there was uh, some good intent to it. Like, well, if we just simply don't cross this line, we know we won't cross the word of God. Right? And yet, when they come to Jesus... They don't mention the Word of God, do they? They mention that his disciples were breaking the tradition of the elders. So they ask him, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He's not right away. Because he sees something more important that he needs to get to first. He's not avoiding the question. We're going to get to it in the next section that we read. But he points out that they're... The whole foundation to their question is, is, is shoddy. It, 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 it's, it's not stable. And he does it by asking them a question in return. You're asking me, why do the disciples uh, not follow the tradition, break the tradition of the elders? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? See, Jesus immediately recognizes that their basis for authority is wrong. They're, they're basing what they're doing on the opinions of men and not upon the word of God. So he appeals directly to divine authority. And then he, he goes on to show them how they are breaking God's word. So he, he first reminds them of the command to honor your father and mother. And this was understood back then, and it should be understood today, to be a lifelong duty of a child. To honor their father. It's going to look different, right? We owe parents obedience when we're young and respect when we're older and care in their old age. This is part of honoring father and mother. And everybody in this discussion understood that quite well. That's the basis of what Jesus is saying. But you see, the Pharisees had developed this kind of tradition around God's law. And they had a tradition that they got started up of, of people giving a certain kind of offering to God. So people could come into the temple and just kind of declare, I'm going to give X, Y, and Z to God. And as soon as they said that, it became binding on them. And it, it overrode any other consideration. Having, having stated that it was going to be given to God, it now must be given to God. Now you can see 
It's not a good idea to vow something to God and then break your vows. So there was something good about this, and no doubt, people did at times use that well. And they vowed something freely to God and then gave to God what they vowed Him, and the Lord was pleased with that. But by starting up this kind of a system, it enabled sin to thrive. Because here's what an angry young person could do. Somebody who had had a falling out with their parents. Somebody that didn't like what was going on. Wanted to avoid caring for them. Just walk into the temple and give it to God. Oh, sorry. Did you need that? I'm sorry. What can I do? I gave it to God. And, and not only are they breaking the command to honor father and mother, but they're being praised for it. Oh, what a good person you are to give all that to God. You see, they could completely hide their heart, hide their motives. It all looked like worship unto God. And as we read, God hates it. He hates it. And so they, by developing this kind of tradition and man-made rules around God's word, they, they were, in effect, countermanding what God had commanded. You know, God, the general of the army, tells the army to go right. But some sergeant down there says what he really means is left, let's go. And they all marched left and felt good about it like they were worshiping the Lord by doing so. So what is Jesus about showing here in verse 6? For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Friends, the ultimate authority in the life of the believer is the word of God. Technically, the ultimate authority is God himself. But the way that we know what God himself wants of us is by listening to what he says. It is really silly to put a, a difference between these, you know? As though I were to ask my kids to do something, and they ignore me, and I say, hey, why aren't you obeying me? Oh, I'm glad to obey you. I just don't listen to your words. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> the, the, the words of God represent the will of God for us. It is the command of God, and it is to be our highest authority in the life of the individual believer and in the life of the church. Which means, as we interact with our culture, that we're allowing God's word to define the existence of God, the nature and the character of God, the things that our culture hates about God, like the holiness of God and the justice of God. And then that we're allowing God's word to define who we are as those who are, in fact, sinful at our core and not inherently good. That it is, in fact, wicked to follow our own hearts and godly to follow God and follow after Him. God's word must be the highest authority in the life of the believer. So number one, a higher authority. Number two, a deeper infirmity. A deeper infirmity. For that, we're going to read the rest of the, our section together, which is going to be verses 10 down through 20. So follow along with me. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 10. And he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand. 
It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this thing? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. He said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. God's word. So scribes and Pharisees believe that defilement, becoming spiritually impure, would be like being infected from the outside. So I can give another COVID reference here, right? You get it from the outside. And I guess in this case, you get it by not washing your hands. <laughs> right? You, you inherit this kind of sinful impurity coming in from the outside. Jesus disagrees. It is not what goes into the mouth, he says, verse 11, that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles a person. Listen, you don't need to worry about what you eat or whether your hands are washed. You don't need to worry because that will not make you spiritually sick. Because you are already spiritually sick. You can't get sick because you already are. And it is what comes out, not what goes in, that makes you sick. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What defiles a person? Those things that arise out of the sinful desires of our heart. And he gives three categories of things. The first is sinful thoughts. You recognize you don't have to move your hands or move your mouth to sin. It's wicked plans. Evil intent and ideas coming from the human heart. And then he mentions also words like false witness and slander. You don't need to raise your hand against somebody to sin against somebody. Sin can be done through our mouths. And then, of course, he mentions actions. He mentions murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft. And where do all of these things come from? Where does all, in fact, the evil in the world come from? The heart of man. How terrible of a message is it to tell society to follow their heart? This is what you get when you follow your heart. This is where it goes, and it's not pretty, and it's not good. These flow out of us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. 
you think of you think of like I mean human human evil like a river flowing down through time, just a toxic and polluted river. Or, or think of the evil in your own life, your own thoughts, your own speech, your own actions, which are wicked. Where comes that river? Let's, let's walk up the river. Where, where does this begin? What are the headwaters? And we come to the spring. Right? You know what a spring is, a little bubbling brook coming up out of the ground, and then there's a stream that flows. But we come to this spring, and it is toxic and polluted. It doesn't issue forth this nice, you know, crystal clear water, but, but, but pollution just pours out of it. This is the picture that Christ gives us of the human heart. And any teaching out there that misses this, misses the gospel. It misses this book. It misses this Jesus. Any teaching which would focus on externals, like the washing of hands, or the saying of this, or the not saying of that, or the doing of this, or the not doing of that, or anything external to the heart, misses the gospel. In fact, if you listen to those things, and you get, you know, some things right about yourself, do you know where that lands you? It lands you in verse 7, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said the people honor me with their lips? They're saying the right things. They got that right. They fixed their mouth. They're saying the good stuff, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Did you know it was possible to worship God in vain? In vain do they worship. It is pointless. It is useless. Why all these prayers? Why all these songs? Why all these rules that you're keeping? Why all these acts of charity? I get nothing from this. You get nothing from this. This is all vanity. Because our sin goes to the core of who we are. And any attempt to worship God without getting there, worshiping from the heart, is simply hypocrisy and vanity. So there are two worldviews in conflict, one believes man to be basically good and he's a little on the outside. The other is, as we're seeing in God's word. So we've discussed two points. A higher authority, a deeper infirmity, and now finally, a stronger remedy. A stronger remedy. I'm going to read the last two verses one more time. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. If only the problem with humanity was that our hands weren't clean. I tell you what, we'd be set. Have you seen how many hand sanitizer stations there are around? I mean, we would have that down like the best in history. We could fix that problem. But our problem goes deeper than what we can scrub off our hands. Problem is worse than that. So let's say, let's say you start on the outside with the externals. And that somehow you are able to adjust your behavior 
so that you're no longer sinning with your actions. Good luck. Good job. Let's say you did it. Now you also, you go beyond that, and you gain perfect control over your speech. Not a word out of step. No evil words, and in fact, you even say some good and encouraging things to people. Never mind that James warns us that no man can tame the tongue. Never mind. You did it. Congratulations. And now for the ultimate coup, you get to work on your thoughts. And you're able to rein in your, your very thoughts. And, and you're not thinking evil thoughts or evil words. Yet, friends, for all that you've just done, for all the appearance of goodness that you have been able to put on, for all the seeming solving of the problem that you have done, your problem is not solved. Your problem has not been touched yet. For still there sits your heart. Season and sinful and seeking for any opportunity to break free and searching for any way to get what it wants. And, and you've taken some kind of a rock and you've shoved it into that spring and somehow the spring has stopped flowing for a while. But it's just as impure as it's always been. And again, if you succeed at all of those things and come to God, you will hear the words, you hypocrites. You worship me with your lips and your thoughts and your actions, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me. God will be worshipped with the heart or not at all. It is the only way. Now, true worship of God always begins in the heart. Always begins in the heart. Now, true worship of God can't stay in the heart. It's got to overflow because the heart is a spring. And from the heart flows every issue of life. And so true worship of God will be reflected in your thinking. And it will be reflected in your speech. And it will be reflected in your actions. But it will originate in your heart. And the passage reveals that not only, not only can mankind not fix the problem, but our every attempt to fix the problem makes it worse. Because the best we can do is arrive at, a, 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 arrive at a really good polished hypocrisy, which is not better. That would be worse. Better to just be a sinner than to be a hypocritical sinner and add sin upon sin. Christ gives us here a devastating diagnosis of a deep disease common to all. How can we touch this? I mean, if, if, if we just ask us to change what we said or change what we thought about or, or change what we did, like, you know, the proud among us would have some hope. He doesn't. He looks right at the heart. And he declares in this passage that the heart is defiled. So what is to be done? And what this passage does is strain ahead in the book of Matthew. That's what this is doing. It's straining ahead. Here we are in, in chapter 15. But, but it's, it's revealing a problem. A problem that Jesus sees. The problem that Jesus explains 
This is the problem that Jesus came to remedy. This is where he's heading in the book of Matthew. He's on his way to the cross. He's teaching and healing and talking as he goes. But even as he's explaining this, the defilement of the disciples, he's preparing to take the defilement of the disciples from the disciples onto himself. This is the message of the cross. That he will take their sin and the punishment that they deserve and that he will cleanse them inside and out. That he will make them pure and try to see the remedy for defilement, unlike what the Pharisees would say, is not water. It is blood. Nothing but the blood of Christ. That's what he was preparing to go and do for them. And he's preparing us here to understand why he was going to go do that. So in a few minutes, we're going to end the service, and we're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. Right? We're singing that? Okay, good. Thanks. There you are. I mean, it was on the list, but I figured I'd put it out. I want to think about that song. I want us to be thinking about, as we sing in a few minutes, God's Word informing the words we're singing with, with truth and not just saying some words, right? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Friend, as you sing that song, think about the actions you have committed because Jesus paid it all. Every action, every sinful thing that you have done, he took that upon himself, took the punishment for that upon himself, that you may be clean. But not just that. Think, too, of the words that you have said. Every errant word. Every missed opportunity to encourage, to express love. Every missed opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that needed to hear it. And he took every one of those upon himself as well, that we could be white as snow. But that's not all. Think about your thoughts. Every evil thought, every wrong plan, every time you had that word you were about to say to somebody, but they walked away before you could say it, so you didn't say it, but it wasn't because you didn't want to. Or every time you've, you've fantasized about that sin, you planned for that sin, and the only thing between you and that sin is opportunity. It just didn't happen. Every evil thought. Friend, he paid it all. All that flows from the heart, thoughts and words and deeds, but that's not the all to the all either. For he didn't just die for what comes out of our heart. He died also for the disorder of the heart itself. For the, the fount of pollution that it is. For the sinful desires. The lusts. The passions. Those things which war against our souls. He died for that. He died not just for our outward sins but for the inward heart set against God that gives birth to our sins. 
friends, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain like here and there and there and there and oh my. And he washed it all white as snow. Glory to God for this remedy that only he could bring. Cleansing our Cleansing us from our actions and our words and our thoughts and even the desires of our heart. Glory to God for that. So friends, in a minute, we're going to sing that song together. And I hope that will be part of our response to this sermon, is to gladly sing to the Lord, Oh, praise you, you paid it all for me. That should be part of our response, but it should not be all of our response. Because he's cleansed us, all of us, which means part of our response to this is to sing with our words and to worship him with our minds and to walk out the door and worship him with our actions and what we do and all of us for all of him. Not to earn it, but because he's given this to us by his grace as a response of worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for in this passage revealing the depth of our need for you. But what horrible news this would have been if you had not also been preparing a remedy sufficient for our great need. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for doing what we could not imagine, what we never even knew to ask for, and we could never have accomplished. You are so, so good. You are worthy of our praise. Our song will forever be that you paid it all on our behalf. Lord, would you enable us to, to worship you in response to what you've done with our heart, with our mind, with our mouth, with our actions. Enable us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.